Once upon a time, in a faraway land, there was a story that changed everything. Hello and welcome to Story Tales, the podcast all about storytelling in its many forms. I am Marcus Hooper and I am back with Junior Bryant. Hello, Junior. Howdy, howdy. So, today's topic is going to be about my favorite director, and I don't know if you put him, where, where would he rank before we reveal who it is? Where, where would he rank in your list of directors? Oh, he's probably definitely, he's at least in the top ten. Yeah. Bare minimum top ten. I, I think most film fans, most, not all, but most would probably rank him pretty high on their list of directors. He's my favorite, uh, and it is Christopher Nolan. Uh, so, first off, I'm just going to talk a little bit about Christopher Nolan. I don't know how much even you or, like, people listening out there know about him, but um, he was born in London, England, but he actually spent most of his life in America, but the reason he still has his accent is because he went back and forth between England and America, and I think he was, like, old enough when he moved to America that he had the accent, and he went back and forth just enough that he kept it. Because, like, his younger brother has an American accent, and that's because his younger brother was so young when they moved, he never retained the accent Mm -hmm. in England. Because that's one thing that a lot of people are confused about. They're like, why is Christopher Nolan British, but Jonathan Nolan is American? (laughs) But (laughs) that's why. Um, But his, I think it was because his, I can't see it right here, but I'm pretty sure it's because his parents divorced and his dad lived in the UK and his mom lived in America. Um, So that's why he was always going, you know, back and forth. Um, And it says that uh, I'm referencing the Nolan Wikipedia page, which I used for research. Uh, It's funny that years ago, like English teachers wouldn't let you use Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. But now it's kind of like, okay, Wikipedia, I think it was mainly because it was online and mm-hmm. back then, people were like, oh, the internet's not that trustworthy. <laughs> but now I feel like people are like, yeah, Wikipedia's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty trustworthy. Uh, so it, it says here that Nolan was particularly influenced by 2001 A Space Odyssey and Star Wars, which Ooh. I feel like that was what kick-started a lot of filmmakers like in mm-hmm. our era like a lot of younger filmmakers, they're like, well, I saw Star Wars or I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey and it just went from there. Mm-hmm. I'm a little too young for those things to have been my main influencer. I mean, obviously Star Wars was a pop culture icon when I was born. Uh, but uh, I, it's, it's funny, and we can get into this a little bit later, but it's funny like that Chris Nolan is like, oh, these things are my influences. But for me... Chris Nolan was kind of one of my influences. Mm-hmm, you just dominoes effect. Yeah, exactly. So around the age of eight, he made a stop motion animation homage to the latter called Space Wars. So that's referencing Star Wars. He made like a stop motion Star Wars homage uh, at the <laughs> age of eight. And nice. I'm like, I didn't even start making videos at the age of eight. I started when I was a freshman in high school when I found out that Movie Maker was on my laptop. And I was like, well... And I discovered that my parents had a, like a little crappy little camera 
that was for pictures but could also take video. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, here I go. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Those were the days. And uh, so his first film was actually uh, not Memento. That was like one of his first films. But his first film was actually called Following. And he made that in 1998. And I believe he made that while he was in in college. But fun fact, he did not, I don't know if you know this, he did not actually major in filmmaking. He, uh, let's see if I can figure out exactly what he majored in. But I know he didn't major in filmmaking, which was a huge surprise to me because he was like, he was like, you know, I'm not technically a film student. A lot of people mm-hmm. think you have to be, you have to go to film school to make good movies. He's like, but yeah. that's not necessarily the case. And uh, most of the time, it's the opposite. Yeah, people who weren't in film school wind up being great storytellers. Yeah. So I can't find it right now, but like, I'm, I think it was like an English degree. Like he got a degree in English, and he just used the gear that they had at his college for the filmmaking degree mm-hmm. to make movies. And his first movie was Following. And one of the actors in that movie was in another, like, were in was in, like, other movies. He was in Batman Begins. I don't know if you remember when the scarecrow gas is bursting from the water mains and yeah. there's the two guys in, like, the central hub and there's the older guy and the younger guy, and he's like, oh, look, it's spiking right there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're like, it's going to blow. The younger guy was in following. Oh. And so he like brought him back in Batman. Okay. But, yeah, most people will know Christopher Nolan as the director of the Dark Knight series. And I'm willing to bet that that is what got Christopher Nolan into the general audience's yeah. like line of sight. Mm-hmm. Like, before that... Most people were like, whatever. Probably the only people who knew of him before that were like really big film fans who were already looking for up and coming directors, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, because before Batman, he made Following, which was his first one, which he made in school. So most people who have seen it now have seen it only because they know he made it in hindsight. Yeah. Um, Memento, which have you seen Memento? I have not seen Memento, but that sounds familiar. I think I've seen parts of it. It's the one where. It's a guy who has, he's lost his ability to have short-term memory, and he's trying to hunt down the guy who killed his wife, but he has to, like, leave, like, whenever he makes a break in the investigation, he has to write it down or, like, take a picture, um, but oh, the yeah, most yeah. Im- the most important stuff he needs to remember, he tattoos on his chest so that he'll definitely never, like, uh-huh. forget it, and the movie is actually told in reverse. It starts with the ending... And then goes backwards because mm. it wants you to feel like him where you don't know what he just did, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and it's really, really interesting. And there's actually like some bits, it'll like, the main story is like in color and it's going backwards. But then sometimes it'll go to him in a hotel room talking to someone on the phone and that's in black and white. And that part is going in chronological order. And I think those two sequences meet up at some point in the film. So like... It kind of jumps back and forth. But that's one thing about Nolan, his filmmaking style. He likes to mess around with time. Yeah, like that's, that's a, a topic of 
great importance to him. Yeah, he likes to he likes to show stories very non-linearly. Um, and uh, I I think I got that from him too because you know because you've read run, one of my scripts and a lot of my stories there's a lot of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It'll flash back to because I kind of like that idea of we see a character and he's acting a certain way and then the movie's like now let's let's see how this character got to this point because I like the idea of you build you see a character and you're like oh I know this guy or this girl like I know who they are. But then you see how they got there, and you're like, "Oh!" Yeah. <laughs> like I, most of the time, they tell you avoid flashbacks because I think most of the time it's because people can't pull it off very well, yeah, and they don't fit it in the story correctly. But pretty much all the time, he can pull off a flashback and make it meaningful and at the right time and in the right context. Yeah, I think I think the best way to pull off a flashback is a good transition into the flashback, and if the flashback has to do with something that just happened in the main story you know mm-hmm. like something and it's not contrived something that actually happened in the main story naturally is what triggers a flashback you know yeah. and then the flashback has the same kind of themes as what just happened in the scene prior you know yeah um but anyway memento could also be an episode <laughs> <laughs> of course all of his movies could yes uh he made insomnia in 2002 i don't know if you've seen that one I think I did. I don't remember it though. That's with um that's with uh who was the guy who plays Michael Corleone and Scarface? Uh Robert De Niro? No. No, not Robert De Niro, but it it's the guy that's usually with Robert De Niro. I I feel like or maybe they don't act a lot together Al but Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Yes. That's it. Um, I always get them confused. Yeah, I do. I do. Their names, like not their faces. I can put their faces separate, but I always confuse their names. Yeah. But yeah, it's Al Pacino. And basically the story is um, they're chasing down this serial killer uh, or at least a murderer. If he's not a serial killer, he's a murderer. And it's like foggy and he shoots who he thinks. He's a cop and he shoots who he thinks is the killer, but it's actually his partner. Mm -hmm. And he accidentally kills him. And he ends up going to like Alaska, I think, for as part of the investigation. And they're there at one of the times when like the sun is always up. So not only is the sun always up, but he's racked with guilt. So he can't get any sleep. So he goes sleepless for like at least a week, maybe more. And so he just starts to go crazy because of the guilt and the lack of sleep. And uh, Robin Williams is actually the main antagonist, and he's like, he's really good. <laughs> like Robin Williams, the the man is hilarious, was hilarious, rest in peace. But he also was like a killer actor, like he no was, pun intended. Yeah, very talented. <laughs> no pun intended. He was a murderer in that movie. He but he was a killer actor. Um. So after Insomnia, the he he had only done two major movies. At this point, right? Because Following was a movie he made in school. Mm-hmm. And so he's only done Memento and Insomnia, two major, like, productions. The very next movie was Batman Begins <laughs> in 2005. Yeah, he kind of break there. But I think the main reason they chose him is because he came to them with a vision. Like, he, he worked with them on Insomnia. That's how he got into Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And he went to them and he was like, what if we did Batman like this? And they liked it so much that they... Gave him a chance. 
and I'm I'm sure now that they're really glad that they did. Yeah, they're still trying to recreate what he brought to the screen. Oh yeah. So Batman Begins, which could be its own episode. I won't go too much into that, but we can we can talk about that some other time. Uh, then the next one was The Prestige, mm-hmm. which is one of, if not my favorite movie of all time. It, it and Inception kind of continually outdo each other for first, depending mm-hmm. on which one I've seen most recently. Yep. Uh, and then after The Prestige was The Dark Knight, which... I know we're going to discuss later, so I'll leave that one. <laughs> then after that was Inception in 2010. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, that you know, again, that one wrestles for first with the prestige. Uh, and then 2012, The Dark Knight Rises, mm-hmm. which we might talk about later. Also, 2014. All, like you said, all of these could be episodes. Yeah, <laughs> like all could, of them. Could. They could all be episodes in them in themselves. Um, but 2014 was Interstellar. And then most recent one, 2017, was Dunkirk. So, yeah, that was pretty good. I saw that. I th- <clears throat> I like all these movies. I haven't seen Following, so I guess I can't say that one. Mm-hmm. But I've seen all these other movies. I really, really like all of them. Like all of them are in like some of my, like the list of some of my favorite movies, and most of them are like in my top at least 15. You know? Yeah. They're they're just so good. I think the only one that like kind of isn't in my top 15 is Insomnia. And that's not because it's not good. It's just. Didn't he do a Man of Steel? No, that was Zack Snyder. Yeah. Okay. He, he was like a producer oh, that's right. of Man of Steel. He, I think he was more of a consultant though. <laughs> Make this like Batman, please. Yeah. <laughs> please, it please, it, please, it please. was like the Warner Brothers was like, can you help Zack? Because we, we want this to be like the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And I think he was like, uh, okay. <laughs> Superman like Batman, go ahead. Yeah. He has a producer's credit for um, Batman versus Superman as well, but I don't think he was very involved in that. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I can't imagine he was because so much so much of Batman in that movie contradicts what Chris Nolan did. So yeah. I can't imagine that he was like, this looks good, Zach. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're good. Keep I mean, un- I mean, unless he was like, you know, he's the artist, so if this is what he wants to do. Um, but so that's Chris Nolan's filmography. That's a little bit about his history. So next, I want to ask you, Junior, what's the first movie of Christopher Nolan's that you saw? Even if you didn't know it was his movie or who he was, what's the first one of his that you saw? It, it was Batman Begins. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably one of the first big ones everyone's going to point out was Batman Begins. It has such a good feel to it, and that was the first Batman movie I'd seen in a long time. And he played off Batman and so well, and his color palette was spot on for the character. And he does that in all of his movies. He's great at choosing color and choosing the right complementary colors for the settings. So it was definitely Batman Begins. Yeah, and... The the thing is, he was going with the really realistic, grounded tone, and Batman is the perfect superhero to do that with. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were going to do that, it would kind of have to be Batman. Yeah. Because, like, even, like, I like the show Arrow most of the time, and they're going with that grounded, realistic feel, but he's a guy with a bow and arrow, you know? Like, yeah. it works to a point, but then you start to get to this and and then they started to introduce mystical stuff and powers 
And I was like, well, now why are you still holding on to the realistic? Because, you know, Christopher Nolan was not going to do any superheroes who had powers. Mm-hmm. He was not going to do any superheroes who used magic, you know? Yeah, because it you could just CGI that to death, and then everyone's just like, okay, well, that's the same kind of movie I've been seeing for the past 10 years. But with the Batman movie and, you know, the character in itself, it makes for a very interesting movie to see someone who doesn't have any superpowers make such an amazing spectacle. Yeah. And he played to that very well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, because if you look at, he used Raish al Ghul. I say mm-hmm. Raish because they say Raz al Ghul in the movie, but I've heard, like, people who actually work in the comic book industry say Raish. So I'm assuming that's how it's supposed to be said, but... <laughs> Who really knows? Yeah. He's a made-up character. Yeah, he, just call him Rash. Yeah, <laughs> Rash Al Ghul. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's some cream for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, they used Rash Al Ghul, who in the comics is one of the most, like, mystical characters because mm-hmm. he has a... He basically has the fountain of youth. Yeah. But in the Chris Nolan series, he's not really immortal. It's just like a metaphor. Like, mm-hmm. he... Like, in the first one, he says... Uh, he's like, oh, you're not... You're not Ra's al Ghul. I watched him die. And he's like, or is Ra's al Ghul immortal? You know, mm-hmm. are his methods supernatural? But really, it was just he used a double, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, like, he, the man he thought was Ra's al Ghul died, but it wasn't the real one. And then, like, in the third movie, he's back, quote unquote, you know, from the dead, but only because, only in spirit, because his daughter is carrying on his legacy. Yeah. So, it was really clever how he took the idea of this guy who's immortal. But it was like, no, not really, more metaphorically. Yeah, he immortal. made it more approachable for an average viewer. Right. I, I heard it like this. Somebody said this, and I love it. He, they said, imagine the Dark Knight trilogy is like a documentary of what really happened in the city of Gotham. And the comic books are just the stories that got passed down from generation to generation. And, and they, exaggerated. Got, they got exaggerated and more elaborate, and they started adding people who didn't even exist and I'm like, I love that idea of like Chris Nolan's series. This is what really happened. This was the real Batman. And then the comic books is just like, oh, yeah, and Bane was huge. Like his muscles were gigantic. And he like just ripped people in half. And it's like, I mean, he was a big dude, but not that big. You know, he was big, but like for real people big, you know. Yes. And so I like that idea. I mean, that's obviously not true. But like I like to think of it in those terms. And. I think Batman Begins was the first Chris Nolan movie I saw, but I actually saw it on DVD. I missed it in theater. I we rented it here listen to this, Junior. We rented it from Blockbuster. Oh yeah. And we uh, just aged both of us on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we kept it so long that we just bought it. <laughs> which which is what usually happened with the stuff we rented yep. from Blockbuster. Um but the first Christopher Nolan movie I saw in theaters was The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And I really do, I really do want to like make the, I think the Dark Knight trilogy its own episode because I think we could talk about all three in an episode oh, yeah. and go into depth. But obviously, the Dark Knight, an amazing film, one of the best films of our generation, I would say, uh, and it's ten years old this year, yeah, which is insane to me to think mm-hmm. that a decade ago it came out because it. It feels like yesterday that I went to saw went to see it and was blown away, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you saw The Dark Knight when it was in theaters. 
I believe I did. Yeah, that was a long time ago, but I, I believe I did. And it, it was quite a spectacle, especially with all the, you know, news surrounding it and everything. But yes, I do believe I did see it in theaters. Yeah. Well, do you remember what your impression was of it when you when you walked out of the theater? It was. It was impactful because it was still kind of the same story you hear Batman and Joker, but it was kind of a twist in that the Joker was played off as a character who you couldn't relate to him, but he seemed a bit more normal, even if he was insane, at least with his relationship with Batman, the the part where he, he's hanging upside down. is like, so what are we going to do? He's gonna yeah. be stuck in this paradox of fighting and it humanized their conflict. Yeah. And you got a window into that that he played off very well. Yeah. I think he was human enough that he was scary. Mm -hmm. Like, because you feel like this is someone who could really exist. But he was mysterious enough that he was even more scary because we knew nothing about him, you mm -hmm. know? So I think they struck that perfect balance of, like, he's not like a mystical force of chaos. He is a man. Mm -hmm. But he is so mysterious that he's unpredictable, you know? Yeah. And I think that was was like and you know it's it's a mixture of chris nolan's directing heath ledger's acting obviously mm -hmm. and also the script you know yes those lines a majority of them were written you know it's not like heath ledger just went in there and improvised all the joker's lines yeah he contributed obviously a lot of stuff and performance and costume and makeup but i think and don't get me wrong i could i could fangirl out about Heath Ledger all day long mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people forget to equally praise Chris Nolan and Jonathan Nolan and yeah. um, you know the, the makeup department the costume department because Heath helped them design all that but they still had to then go and make it you know yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I think everyone was firing on all cylinders and I, I think it's one of our modern masterpieces Mm -hmm. which you can't really say about most superhero films, even really, really good ones. Like, yeah. most of the time, they're just blockbuster movies. Yeah, popcorn they, movies. Right. They're fun, and they're great, and a lot of them are, are made really, really well. But this was a film, you yeah, know? it was a good story. It, yeah. I think more so than most times you see the Batman and Joker, it played off of their motivations better. Most of the time it was, ha-ha, here, take my, you know, crackerjack bomb and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we think like the 90s TV show and everything. But in this one, it was, you know, we've seen who Batman is and why he is the way he is. And then the Joker comes along and they kind of play off, you know, why he is the way he is. And then you actually get to see them try and come to grips. And, you know, Batman won't kill him, but he'll just come out. You know, Joker will come out later and just start it all over again. So he... Made a yeah. good conflict in that movie. Yeah, and and we, I feel like we really hadn't seen, like, anarchic Joker. Is that a word? Anarchic. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. We we haven't really seen a Joker, we like that before. We had in the comics, but we hadn't seen a Joker that was just all about anarchy and and chaos and just messing things up and had no desire for money or fame or anything like that literally just wanted to mess everything up we hadn't seen that before jack nicholson's joker was just a gangster mm -hmm. he wanted money he wanted women he wanted fame that yeah. was his goal mm -hmm. and i think that's why in hindsight now seeing what the joker could have been like seeing like peak what i think is like peak joker 
it that one kind of falls flat to me in hindsight. I know when it came out, people were like, wow, and it is still a good performance. It is still a good performance, you know, not to knock Jack Nicholson, but... It was a different kind of Joker. Right, right. And I think that's one of the great things about, you know, every actor, person who plays Joker is they bring a different kind of lens to it. And he did the same thing with Joker that he did with, you know, Rash al Ghul. He made him a more believable villain. He kind of toned down the splendor of the comic book side. And he's like, but if they were real and they were like this, wouldn't that be something? Yeah. And so, and it's yeah. funny because like Joker in the Chris Nolan movies is still the most like showy, like, you know, spectacle driven mm-hmm. villain like he is in the comics. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's not as spectacle driven as the one, one in the comics, but in the Nolan world, out of the, all the other villains, he still is the most spectacle driven. So it's like they kept they kept what was true about the character, you know, mm-hmm. and they just made it work in the context of the film. Yeah. And I- anyway, I do want to talk about that more in its own episode, so I don't want to go on too much about that. But Inception, you said, is one of your favorites. Oh, yes. Do you remember what how you felt when you first walked out of the theater after seeing Inception? Oh, I, I was just thrown for a fanboy tizzy. That was when I was in actually, uh, let's see, what, what, what year was that again? 2011? 2010? 2010, yeah. I was still in film school, and I was going through my script class, and then I see this movie, like, oh my goodness, my brain is melting. <laughs> and I saw it probably like three times in theaters, and then I bought the movie when it came out. I got the the script as a birthday gift, and I read that, and... I made a little short film myself for one of my class projects about an Inception prequel movie. And so that was fun. So, yeah, coming out of the theater, just tearing apart bit by bit, I loved how he explained his concept so clearly, so quickly, and then he could get to a problem created in that universe. Yeah. Like, most movies, if they have a you know twisted kind of concept that you need to get your brain around, they don't have much time to explain it and then create a problem in there and then solve the problem and have it all seem like a decent script at the end of it. He did a very good job in Inception, and I wish he would make a sequel, but then I also don't want it to be a sequel because yeah. don't ruin it. <laughs> I don't think he ever is going to. Yeah. He's not To me, he's not the kind of guy that does a whole lot of sequels, like especially... Because, like, Batman is a franchise. Batman is designed to go on, mm-hmm. you know. But his other movies really, really feel like one story. They're one and done. Mm-hmm. Like, Interstellar, I mean, you could force a sequel out of that. He's not. He doesn't seem like the kind of director who will force a sequel. Yeah. If he's struck with an idea. And that's that's what he claims for the Batman movies, that every time he made one, he never intended to do a sequel. Yeah. Like, he never told himself he wouldn't. But he didn't make it to then make a sequel. Mm-hmm. And like even the Joker card at the end of Batman Begins, he said that wasn't setting up a future movie. It just it does so it was, happen we use the Joker. He said, I wanted it to be more of like a there are villains out there. Like the comic book world is out there. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and so he's not the kind of sequel guy. And you're right, a lot of them 
I want a sequel just because I want to see it again for the first time. You know, that's yeah. that's really why. But I know if they made a sequel, I'd probably be disappointed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd kind of lose the magic of just seeing it in this universe, the beginning and the end, and then it takes a lot to make a good sequel. Even if it's a man- movie, a good sequel is hard to come by nowadays. Yeah. So as kind of like a, a wrap-up discussion, what do you think... In in your opinion, obviously, makes Christopher Nolan's movies good. Hmm, you could make a whole episode just on that. <laughs> well, um, he's a very deep thinker, of course. That goes kind of without saying. Mm-hmm. But he definitely seems like he wants to create an atmosphere in his movies that sucks you in, and then he wants to then tell a good story on top of that, which is. Very skillful for a director to do because just to make a universe, make a scene, make all your lighting have good continuity and everything and the tone throughout the movie, that's hard enough to do. And then tell a decent story on top of that. But when you can just go down another layer, you know, a dream within a dream and make a good story on top of that that's compelling and you can use your own universe that you create, that's a very skillful act and that's in the batman movies that's in dunkirk inception interstellar all of those movies yeah i think one thing that really helped you know develop his style that uh, that has helped him in the end is the fact that he moved so quickly from an indie filmmaker to a um a big budget studio filmmaker and this wouldn't happen to everyone a lot of people might change their ways as they get more money and more access but one thing that he does which i like is he always tries to limit himself in certain ways and what i mean by that is he might have a huge budget and he'll use it like to its maximum but not on cgi not on just like oh we'll just add all that in post you know he's big on practical effects oh yeah and and he uses cgi for what it was intended for just to add little things here and there that can't be done practically Mm -hmm. like you know he has so many great examples of practical effects like the spinning hallway scene Mm -hmm. in inception or the truck flip in the dark night yeah the the spaceship rig you know in interstellar Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so many, you know, awesome effects that sometimes when you're watching it, you're not thinking, oh, I bet that was practical. But it's like your brain did, you know, yeah, like yeah. You, you knew, that's a little joke from Red Letter Media if if anybody watches their videos. But it's like you might not have noticed it consciously, but subconsciously you were like, that was real. And that's yeah. why you, it didn't pull you out of the moment. Right. You just it makes you feel more immersed. Mm-hmm. You know, the more that you see that's practical. And it's it's funny because a lot of times I feel like in Christopher Nolan movies, there'll be things where people just assume it's CGI because it's like, oh, well, that's really impressive CGI. It's like, nope, that was practical. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he, he I guess you could say he kind of approaches it the same way with his characters. Like we were saying, he tries to humanize the spectacular you know comic book characters and make them a bit more believable and then it's all the more interesting because like well you know that almost could happen and then he kind of takes it over into his you know directing style of you know effects and everything and like yeah you couldn't make it all this fantastic stuff or you can make it a bit more realistic and isn't that all the more interesting yeah and i i think that's why like like jack nicholson's joker is scary 
but he's not terrifying like mm-hmm. Heath Ledger's Joker. Because you're sitting there watching Batman 89 and you're not like, this guy could exist in real life. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're like, man, this dude is scary, but he's fake. <laughs> you yeah, know? pretty much. But you watch Heath Ledger's Joker and, you know, partially because the writing is so good and partially because Heath Ledger was so immersed in that character that you didn't see an actor, you saw the character, mm-hmm. that you were like, this dude could be real and mm-hmm. could be outside, you know? Yeah. So it, it made it even scarier because you were like, is he going to do that to me? You know? <laughs> and, and the fact that he did things that were realistic, like he uses gasoline to blow people up or he just shoots people with guns or with rocket launchers. You know, he doesn't have balloons filled with poison gas that he sprays yeah, all over the city. Yeah, so you just laugh to death. Yeah, he doesn't put a bunch of, like, poison in beauty products that make people, like, die smiling, you know? Mm-hmm. He blows you up, or he shoots you, or he runs a truck into you, you know? So it's like, it's the he's doing things that somebody could do to you in yeah. real life. A flamboyant, you know, murderer. Yeah, he... He, yeah, he's a flamboyant terrorist is what mm-hmm. he is. And in post 9-11, that's something that really resonates with audiences. See, I, I, it's, I just thought of this. I think maybe that character might not have resonated with audiences so well before 9-11. Like he still might have, but I think he wouldn't have resonated so much before mm-hmm. that time. Like if you had made The Dark Knight in 1989 when instead of the original Michael Keaton one, mm-hmm. first of all, I think people would have complained because it was way too dark. Yeah. Because they thought Tim Burton's was dark. And I'm like, it's dark, literally, <laughs> but it's pretty goofy to me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's Batman. But uh, it, I think people would have hated it because it was too dark. And then also, I think the Joker wouldn't have resonated with people. Like, terrorists were a thing. Terrorists have been a thing probably forever even if we haven't been calling them that. But I think one reason he resonated so well with audiences in 2008 is because we were living in a post-9-11 era Mm -hmm. where terrorist threats and dying at the hand of a terrorist randomly was an actual problem and and still is, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, the idea of being killed by someone like the Joker was a reality, you know, like it wouldn't be the Joker, but somebody like him, that was mm-hmm. real, you know, so that that idea, that concept could happen, yeah. like literally could happen. So I think that's one reason that character like really hit home for people because they were like, um, yeah, like some, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> yeah. Somebody could blow up the boat I'm on. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was probably a, a fresh break for people seeing, you know, that type of destruction and mayhem not come from your typical you know like terrorist you know whatever you want to whatever area you pick of you know terrorism you know insert villain here but you see this guy who's flamboyant he's got a weird story about him you know he's the joker you know the joker but then you see him in kind of like the adult version of joker and you're like oh okay we we definitely hit on something here but you know you could probably Go on forever about the the difference that nine eleven had on you know movie making. Yeah, I think I think Christopher Nolan's best movies are the ones where he says, "What if this amazing, extravagant, spectacular thing happened in the real world?" Yeah. You know, 
Those are the most interesting movies. Mm -hmm. What if people could share dreams and steal people's ideas in those dreams in the real world? Mm -hmm. What if Batman existed in the real world? What if we found a wormhole to another galaxy in the real world? You mm -hmm. know? And to me, those are the best ones because it's a spectacular film experience. Like, that's the kind of thing film was, like, designed for, to mm -hmm. go to these places, to do these things, but done in such a way that you're like, I feel like this is really happening or could really happen, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it, and he kind of gives almost as much context in his setting as, like, a, a good book will. Oh, yeah. Most films, you know, you always hear people say, ah, the book was better. But, you know, if you sit down and see, like, the scenery of Interstellar or the feeling and the lighting of Batman or the concepts of Inception, it's almost the depth of a book, usually. Yeah. Yeah. I would love, I just had this idea. I would love to see what Christopher Nolan would have done with the Harry Potter series. <laughs> That's interesting. Like, I wonder, it might be too fantastical for him. But maybe not. I mean, Batman's pretty fantastical. Joker's pretty fantastical. But it may have been too unrealistic for him to be like, I can't ground this. Um, but mm. I would have loved to see what he would have done with something like that. W to take something that's pure fantasy but does exist in, in like modern times or it can. Mm. I mean, it took place in the 90s, but that's when the books came out. But it can take place now if you wanted to. Um, to see what he would do with something like that and be like, what if Harry Potter, but for real, you know? <laughs> um, but I think he would make changes, and I think fans of Harry Potter books don't want changes, you know? Mm. Yeah, he, Christopher Nolan's really good at kind of blurring the lines between fiction and nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, he is my favorite director. He's one of your favorite directors, and I agree. I think we found a lot of to interesting topics that can be whole episodes <laughs> of course, for the future. Of course. But uh, I, I could go on for days about Christopher Nolan and about his films. But uh, anyway, the, the time has really flown. It has. I, I hope it has for the listeners. I hope they're not like, no, this took five years. <laughs> I hope that. Oh, my. <laughs> Give us five uh, yeah. stars on, yeah. the <laughs> uh, on this level of the dream. You know, the time change is different. So, yeah. <laughs> Wake up, everybody. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys really enjoyed this. Junior will be back, of course, to talk about some other filmmaking topic next time. We don't know what it is yet, but you'll find out when you get the next episode he's on. But tune in for the next episode. It'll be Danny Chambers again. We're going to talk about something to do with acting. So if you're interested in acting or you want to be an actor, you should definitely tune into that. It's going to be really interesting. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Junior, for joining us again. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And we will see you guys next time on Story Tales. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Story Tales. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at StorytalesPod, where you can share your story with us. Or you can email us at StorytalesPodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>